Dear supporters of BLC, if you adore BLC and our free black history and audiobook content, donate via Patreon or get a print copy of the world-famous art pieces, The Morrow of Tradition by Charles Chestnut and Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet Jacobs, bound together into just one practical book. The Morrow of Tradition by Charles Chestnut and Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet Jacobs, bound together into just one practical book in the link below. Chapter 37 of Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Elizabeth Clett, Houston, Texas, June 2008. Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl. Written by herself. By Harriet Jacobs. Written under the pseudonym Linda Brent. Chapter 37 a visit to England. In the spring, sad news came to me. Mrs. Bruce was dead. Never again in this world should I see her gentle face, or hear her sympathizing voice. I had lost an excellent friend, and little Mary had lost a tender mother. Mr. Bruce wished the child to visit some of her mother's relatives in England, and he was desirous that I should take charge of her. The little motherless one was accustomed to me, and attached to me, and I thought she would be happier in my care than in that of a stranger. I could also earn more in this way than I could by my needle. So I put Benny to a trade, and left Ellen to remain in the house with my friend and go to school. We sailed from New York, and arrived in Liverpool after a pleasant voyage of twelve days. We proceeded directly to London, and took lodgings at the Adelaide Hotel. The supper seemed to me less luxurious than those I had seen in American hotels, but my situation was indescribably more pleasant. For the first time in my life I was in a place where I was treated according to my deportment, without reference to my complexion. I felt as if a great millstone had been lifted from my breast. Ensconced in a pleasant room, with my dear little charge, I laid my head on my pillow for the first time, with the delightful consciousness of pure, unadulterated freedom. As I had constant care of the child, I had little opportunity to see the wonders of that great city but I watched the tide of life that flowed through the streets, and found it a strange contrast to the stagnation in our southern towns. Mr. Bruce took his little daughter to spend some days with friends in Oxford Crescent, and of course it was necessary for me to accompany her. I had heard much of the systematic method of English education, and I was very desirous that my dear Mary should steer straight in the midst of so much propriety. I closely observed her little playmates and their nurses, being ready to take any lessons in the science of good management. The children were more rosy than American children, but I did not see that they differed materially in other respects. They were like all children, sometimes docile, and sometimes wayward. We next went to Steventon, in Berkshire. It was a small town, said to be the poorest in the county. I saw men working in the fields for six shillings and seven shillings a week, and women for sixpence and sevenpence a day, out of which they boarded themselves. Of course they lived in the most primitive manner. It could not be otherwise, where a woman's wages for an entire day were not sufficient to buy a pound of meat. They paid very low rents, and their clothes were made of the cheapest fabrics, though much better than could have been procured in the United States for the same money. I had heard much about the oppression of the poor in Europe. The people I saw around me were, many of them, among the poorest poor. But when I visited them in their little thatched cottages, 
I felt that the condition of even the meanest and most ignorant among them was vastly superior to the condition of the most favoured slaves in America. They laboured hard, but they were not ordered out to toil while the stars were in the sky, and driven and slashed by an overseer, through heat and cold, till the stars shone out again. Their homes were very humble, but they were protected by law. No insolent patrols could come in the dead of night and flog them at their pleasure. The father, when he closed his cottage door, felt safe with his family around him. No master or overseer could come and take from him his wife or his daughter. They must separate to earn their living, but the parents knew where their children were going, and could communicate with them by letters. The relations of husband and wife, parent and child, were too sacred for the richest noble in the land to violate with impunity. Much was being done to enlighten these poor people. Schools were established among them, and benevolent societies were active in efforts to ameliorate their condition. There was no law forbidding them to learn to read and write, and if they helped each other in spelling out the Bible, they were in no danger of thirty-nine lashes, as was the case with myself, and poor, pious old Uncle Fred. I repeat that the most ignorant and the most destitute of these peasants was a thousand-fold better off than the most pampered American slave. I do not deny that the poor are oppressed in Europe. I am not disposed to paint their condition so rose-coloured as the Honourable Miss Murray paints the condition of the slaves in the United States. A small portion of my experience would enable her to read her own pages with anointed eyes. If she were to lay aside her title, and, instead of visiting among the fashionable, become domesticated as a poor governess, on some plantation in Louisiana or Alabama, she would see and hear things that would make her tell quite a different story. My visit to England is a memorable event in my life, from the fact of my having there received strong religious impressions. The contemptuous manner in which the communion had been administered to coloured people in my native place, the church membership of Dr. Flint and others like him, and the buying and selling of slaves by professed ministers of the gospel, had given me a prejudice against the Episcopal Church. The whole service seemed to me a mockery and a sham. But my home in Steventon was in the family of a clergyman, who was a true disciple of Jesus. The beauty of his daily life inspired me with faith in the genuineness of Christian professions. Grace entered my heart, and I knelt at the communion table, I trust, in true humility of soul. I remained abroad ten months, which was much longer than I had anticipated. During all that time I never saw the slightest symptom of prejudice against colour. Indeed, I entirely forgot it till the time came for us to return to America. End of chapter 37 Dear supporters of BLC, if you adore BLC and our free black history and audiobook content, donate via Patreon or get a print copy of the world-famous art pieces, The Marrow of Tradition by Charles Chestnut, and Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet Jacobs, bound together into just one practical book. The Marrow of Tradition by Charles Chestnut, and Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet Jacobs, bound together into just one practical book, in the link below.